we have been in the uh, Sunday morning class uh, out here, we have been studying uh, the book of Joshua. And last week, we uh, began studying and reading about the farewell speech of Joshua. And part of that is what Eric just read uh, to you from chapter 23 of Joshua. And I wanted to particularly focus on the part where Joshua says to the nation of Israel, so take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God, which is verse 11. Um, take diligent heed to yourselves to love the Lord your God. Um, so what does that mean, this statement where he says, diligent heed, take diligent heed to yourselves? What does this mean? And it really means that they should um, be careful about themselves um, and be careful that they did not get enticed into worshiping false gods and following the sinful practices of the people who were already in that land. So he was urging them to be thoughtful and careful. Um, and for us, I think it, it, it applies really in the same way, or in a very similar way. And it means that we should pay attention to the way we are thinking uh, about things in our lives, how we are behaving, and pay careful attention to ourselves. Um, and do not be careless. Uh, it, it, oftentimes we can, we can react, um, act and react without thinking. And without thinking, is this behavior or, or the way I'm thinking, is that consistent with God's expectations? And as human beings, God has given us the ability to reflect on ourselves and to make adjustments in our behavior. And we need to do that. That's what we must do if we're going to love and honor God. And throughout the Bible, um, we can find a lot of times where God will ask questions. And really those questions are rhetorical questions that God makes, um, to, to, he asks to make his people stop and think. Because God, of course, knows the answer. He's omnipotent, um, uh, omniscient, and he knows the answer. But he wants us to think about those things and to get a better understanding of ourselves and our situation and a better understanding of, of him, I think. So one of the, what I want to do in this lesson is to just go through a few of God's rhetorical questions. And part of this will be to see if you know where the question's coming from. So it'll be a little quiz. Um, and I'm only going to give you the question part, not the whole scripture initially. But really, God asked these rhetorical questions to help us reflect and think about, are we behaving rightly? Are we behaving in a way that loves and honors God? Um, so the first question is, why are you angry? Anybody remember where that came from? It's from, from Genesis. Anymore? It is from Genesis. That's the question that God, hmm? Cain? Cain and Abel, yes. It's the question that God directed to Cain when he was angry. And he was angry with his brother. 
and he really didn't have a good reason to be angry with his brother. In that scripture, that passage, Genesis 4, 6 through 7, it says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will, you not, uh, will not your countenance be lifted up? So God asked this question, Why are you angry to Cain? And gave Cain an opportunity to think about the way he was feeling. Why is he angry? Um, and to give him an opportunity to, to know he doesn't have to give in to that anger. And you remember, if you remember in that passage, it says to him, God says, sin is crouching at your door, but you must master it. So he gave him the opportunity. And uh, Cain refused to listen. And he killed his brother, Abel. So Cain shortened, you know, cut short Abel's life, and he ruined his own life. And how often have we seen that, where people react in anger, and they, they hurt someone else, but they ruin their own lives as well. But how about us? Are we, you know, when we are angry, it would probably be a good thing, a great idea to ask ourselves, why am I angry? Why am I angry? Is it... Is it righteous anger? I hope so. Or is it jealous anger, like the kind that Cain had? Because his brother was accepted, and God didn't like Cain's offering. So is it a jealous anger? Or are we angry because we're, there's something we're afraid of? And, you know, some of us are angry a lot. And we need, to, we need to watch out for that. We need to ask ourselves why and examine ourselves as it relates to how we're feeling in that anger. James chapter 1, verse 20 says this, For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. See that? The anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So being angry all the time is not a good thing. And we need to be careful with anger. And we need to examine it. Why am I angry? The second rhetorical question is that, that God asked was, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? That's really two questions. But why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? You know where that question came from? What? In a boat. It was in a boat. <laughs> Jesus and his... In the storm, there was a storm going on. Um, the occasion, uh, Jesus and his disciples were in a boat in the sea when a storm was stirred up and the boat began to sink because the waves were breaking over the boat and the water was filling up the boat. And Jesus was asleep and the disciples were terrified and they woke Jesus up and said, don't you care about us? We are about to die. Jesus calmed the storm and asked them that question. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think that, again, that's a good question for us. As we go through whatever we go through, or, what, or when, we, when we're called upon to do something, um, or have to face something, why are we afraid? Do we have no faith? Do we, do we live fearfully? Uh, or do we live 
with confidence and faith in God. And it's really important to, for us to, to not live fearfully, um, but realizing in, in, that God is reliable and faithful. If you look at Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, it says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Who, what will man do to me? So we need to take that to heart. Um, we need to give diligent heed to ourselves as it relates to being fearful. Do we really believe that God is our helper and that he will never leave us? Uh, we, must, we, we really need to trust God and feel secure in his care. And then we don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be afraid of anything. And one of the things I, I'm very convinced of is that being afraid leads to many bad decisions and sins. We're afraid. You know, even the idea of missing out on something, um, we're afraid of that. And that's something that marketers use. They, they, they use the fear of missing out to try to get us to buy their product because we think they want to convey this message that if you don't have this, you're going to miss out. You're going to, you're not going to have any friends. You're going to be a loser. Um, and your life will be incomplete. And there's so many forms that that takes. And when you think about the temptation that was presented to Eve in the garden, it was really the same idea, that you're going to miss out on being like God. This, eat this, and you'll be like God. And she went for it. But that type of, that type of fear, I think, is very common for us, that we don't want to miss out. We're afraid that everybody else is having a great time, and we're missing out. And we really are afraid of that. And then there's other things of just having to do something we're not used to doing. Um, and it's understandable to be concerned, but we need to have confidence and not be afraid of the things that God calls us to do. But to, but to face those things, ask God for his help. And uh, it, it, it's, I just think when I look at nations and around the world, that a lot of these wars and a lot of things that people do is because they're afraid. And that I'm going to do something to these people before they do it to me. And it's just, and we, and you can take it on a, all sorts of levels that fear is driving sinful behavior, but we need to realize that God is our helper. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to desert us. He's going to take care of us. So let us not give in to fear. We need to examine our fears and see, do they really even make sense? And remember and reflect on our faith in Jesus. The third rhetorical question, and there's a lot of them. Um, we're only going to cover five. Um, this is the third one. So we're almost done. Um, you might have trouble with this one, but the third one is, where were you? Where? No. Job. That's right. 
It may have been Lazarus too, but I don't know. But uh, uh, it's Job. This is from Job 38, verse 4. And it, the, the verse says, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? It's when God answers Job out of the whirlwind. And we know Job has been suffering, and he doesn't understand why. And he knows that something's wrong. And that God, uh, and the implication is that he's saying, God has made a mistake here. I don't deserve this. This is not right. And God, God knows what we go through. God understands what we go through. But Job was demanding, essentially, an explanation from God about why he made this really bad decision um, and why he allowed Job to suffer like this. And the point of this question was to help Job to realize that he was in really no position to challenge God about the rightness of his decisions and the judgments that God makes. God is wise enough and smart enough to create the earth and set up all the processes that's involved in to sustain life on earth and to take care of us. And, God, and Job needed to be made to understand that he should accept and never forget the wisdom of God um, and we can have the same, we can have the same problem um, when we don't like what God has said or we don't want to do what God has said um, or we feel this something shouldn't be happening to us and then we want to, con we want to question God's righteousness and God's wisdom. But we need to take, we need to take the heart that God is righteous and that he loves us even when we can't understand what is happening at the moment. Um, we need to understand that, you know, it's possible that God's ideas may be different than ours and that, you know, he may not agree with us and he doesn't always agree with us. And that's really difficult for people to, for us, I think, to accept that, our thoughts and our ideas about the way things ought to be, and in fact, what is right and what is wrong, is not, we need to try to line up with God, but we don't always naturally come to the same conclusions that God does. So we need to take that to heart and maybe ask ourselves, you know, where was I? I mean, did I have the wisdom to even touch this, this, this thing that I'm concerned about um, and realize God was there from the beginning, and he was involved a long time before we were, and that he has done a good job. When we look at the history and the examples that we have, and even, even dealing with one another, kind of on a human level, we need, to, we need to consider our involvement in different activities. So we, can, you know, we may want to ask ourselves and realize, I wasn't in the beginning where, when this, this thing started or when this activity started. And maybe some other people have been involved much longer than I. So while I think we want to bring in new people, I think we also want to respect those who have gone on, who've been doing it for a while and know more about the history and what's happening in a particular area. So we can work with people who have been experienced as well as people who are new, realizing we don't know it all. 
and there's a lot for us that we can learn from one another, even in that sense. The fourth rhetorical question that God asked is, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Do you remember who went, what the occasion was for that question? God asked that question to one of his greatest prophets. Was that that here? Elijah? Elijah. It was Elijah uh, from 1 Kings. Isn't this fun? Uh, 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 13. One of his greatest prophets. Um, Elijah had just had a great victory over 450 prophets of the Baals or the Baals, uh, false, uh, false gods. And God used Elijah to demonstrate God's power in an incredible display. And Elijah killed these prophets, these false prophets. The only problem was that these 450 prophets belonged to, you know who? A bad queen. Began Jezebel. All right, Jackson. Um, these, were Je these were Jezebel's uh, prophets. And she was a zealous idol worshiper. And she told, she sent word to Elijah that what you did to these prophets of mine, I think that she says by the end of the day, but she says, I'm going to do that to you. And Elijah, having just had this tremendous victory through God was terrified and he was a, he was so afraid and he ran and he ended up hiding in a cave Elijah was depressed he was overcome with fear and exhaustion it was so bad that Elijah asked God to take his life just let me die here God let me die now I've had enough. And he said to God, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one of your prophets that are left. That wasn't true, but that's what Elijah thought. So he hid in this cave. However, God was not done with Elijah yet. As he hid in this cave, God came to him and asked in 1 Kings 19.9, what are you doing here, Elijah? The cave, wanting to die, wanting to hide, that was not what God, that's not what God's plan was for Elijah. That was not his intent and expectation. So he came to him, if you remember, and that's, there's twice it happens, a couple of different verses, where God comes to him and just whispers to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? So we need to examine ourselves sometimes, I think, and ask ourselves that same question. Now, maybe we're not hiding in the cave, but maybe we're someplace where we shouldn't be. Okay. And we need to ask ourselves, what are you doing here? What am I doing here? Because it may not be a good place to be. And if we're going to love, remember these are all related to trying to examine ourselves to make sure that we're loving and honoring God the way we should in the way Joshua was urging the people of Israel to do. What am I doing here? 
Are these people, are these the people, are these really the people I should be hanging out with? Am I actually helping them come to God? Or are they dragging me away from God? What am I doing? And, and I was even thinking about this from thinking about college days. That sometimes you'd be doing things that you shouldn't have done that really weren't even fun. Um, they were just stuff other people were doing. They were, they were really kind of destructive to you, and, and they weren't good things. And we, we need to think about that. What am I doing here? And maybe that's a good place to be, but maybe it's not a good place to be. And we need to evaluate and ask ourselves, what am I doing here? And maybe we need to ask one another that too, if we can help each other get on a better path. Um, so we need to remember that. What are you doing here? Is it, is it the right place to be? The fifth and final rhetorical question for today is, why do you persecute me? Saul. They, Jesus, the risen Lord, that's in Acts chapter 9, verses 3, uh, three through 5, um, where Jesus asked that question to Saul because he is arresting and killing Christians. And Saul didn't realize that, that he was killing the people that belonged to the Son of God. Um, Saul, who, who became known as the Apostle Paul, was zealous for God. But out of ignorance, he thought he was serving God by killing Christians. Now, hopefully none of us have killed Christians, but did I hear somebody confess to that? <laughs> hopefully we haven't killed Christians, but it's possible that we, through our own ignorance or our lack of knowledge, that we may hold beliefs that are actually contrary to the teaching of Christ or opposed to the truth that he taught. So it's important for us to really be good students and thoughtful disciples of Jesus Christ so that in ignorance we don't adopt beliefs or behaviors that actually oppose the work of Christ. And that may seem strange, but that's something that, that is written about in the Bible. Those types of things where people begin believing, Christians begin believing and practicing things that are completely false as it relates to, to Christ. And one of the examples is addressed by Paul um, in Galatians, where the people, he calls it a different gospel, that the people begin believing, or, or they're, they're tempted into to following salvation based on legalistic rules, following rules and works. Um, and he actually says in Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 68, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel which is not really another. Only there is some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. So Paul is actually saying that they should be accursed if even an angel preaches a different gospel. And they were following legalistic rules for salvation rather than relying on faith in Christ. And that is something that's very easy for us to do because we, and I think it's a good thing, we 
love the Bible, and we want to follow the Bible, we want to do everything it commands, but we have to realize that we're not saved because we're so good and that we follow the rules so well. Uh, we're saved because of the blood of our, our, of our faith and confidence in the blood of Christ, and they, Paul was telling them that this is another gospel. It's not the true gospel if you're doing this. So sometimes we may, be, we may need to ask ourselves, am I really following or am I actually opposing Christ? Another issue, another area of concern that we can end up be, becoming materialistic, um, believing that money and wealth are evidence of God's favor. And we need to be really careful about that. Um, especially because when we look at the Israelites, they were given that promise. They were given the promise of physical, material wealth and health if they obeyed God. And it was something that was promised to them by God as the people, uh, by his chosen people, Israel. And it was really under the covenant of Moses um, that that was promised. But that's not, we can't, that's not uh, what we're told. And we should not start thinking that if, if a, wealth is evidence of righteousness. But it can, it can happen, and I think it's, it's very natural for us to fall into that. James addressed that specifically in the example in James chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit at the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? When we become, uh, when we behave like that, and it's so easy to do, um, it becomes evident that we don't love people the way Christ did. We dishonor, dishonor one person and show favoritism to another. And we may actually become those who hinder people from coming to Christ. So we just need to be careful um, and again, uh, I mean, we need to be careful regarding that. And that third example related to this idea of actually opposing Christ is just that we can, we can deceive. There are those who deceive believers into thinking that we can use our Christian freedom as a cover for sin and self-indulgence. We start off honoring Christ, but due to the deception, we end up uh, denying his, his power. And Peter warns about this in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 17 through 19. Um, These men are springs without water and mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words by appealing to the lustful desires of sinful human nature. They entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. For they have escaped the corrupt, for if, if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and again, be, again and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off than, than the end. They are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. So these are people who had come to Christ, who had believed in him, but had been mis mis really mis manipulated by people into thinking that there's, 
they can participate in these sins and they're still going to be all right. And again, that teaching is opposing Christ, maybe not directly persecuting Jesus, but harming his cause and harming his people. So we have to make sure that none of us um, fall for any of these errors and that we need to be careful about what we do and what we believe in and really ask ourselves these questions to try to make sure that we are truly loving God in the way that he asked us to do in a way that's going to be right in his sight. That's my lesson. Um, I want us to all really think about um, that this is a time where if there's, if there's something that we want to ask for prayers, we can come together and you can come forward as we sing in a moment and be prayed for by the church. If there's anyone here who wishes to become a Christian and put on Christ, you can do that now as we stand and sing the Song of Invitation.